Well, that one had good energy, if not good content. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Keyframes, a podcast about anime. I'm your host, Ben Halliburton, and with me today is Andy. Hi, hi. Duncan. Hey. And John. <laughs> and J-Name. Say hi, Jeff. Yellow. <laughs> should we redo that? Or... No, that's staying in. Let's get going. Okay, fine. Cut me asking if we should redo that. Make me sound fun. All right. Well, we are now in the winter 2021 season. Uh, as the bare naked ladies say, it's been one week. So let's go ahead and talk about the anime that we've watched. Um, the one episode of anime for several sundry anime that we've watched. And then we'll talk about some stuff we've been watching. I finished Shogimono. I don't know if anyone else did anything besides Power I, and Terror of a Coup. Actually, y'all are we're all safe. So. <laughs> I've, I finished uh, the director's cut of the first season of ReZero. Okay, maybe we'll talk about that again. Yeah. ReZero has now officially overtaken Soccer Quest as our most disgusted anime. <laughs> At least it's a good one. Anyway, yeah. the uh, chickadee chick, the Chinese chicken, the take the one drum stop, and I can't stop licking anime that I'm watching this season. Those is... were the wrong lyrics, by the way. Were they the wrong lyrics? I've seen this band live. I, I used to, I used to lip sync along to Bare Naked Ladies in my car <laughs> at on, age then. sixteen. I know what show, the right lyrics are. Show me. You know, it is says not... a lot that that in a, an anime podcast, this is you two's most shameful moment. <laughs> Bare Naked Ladies rule. What are you talking yeah. about? Yeah, like they. They're, they're, they're Canadian. It's true. Right. That was the first live show I ever saw. It was great. Did they do? Did they do the uh, ending song? Was alcohol? Because that was a fucking blinder when I went to see them. Um, I don't know. It was like in 1995, so I don't know if that song had come out yet. I think stunt was a little bit later. Oh really? Uh, it was the same album as um, oh, one yeah. week. Anyway, right there. No, yeah, yeah, but uh, Jeff saw them in 1995. Stunt is 1998. Ah, uh, so. right, yeah, no, fair point, fair point. They were uh, still in Have a Million Dollars era, which we've already referenced on this podcast. We're turning into the <laughs> turning into my brother, my brother, and me referencing the same aging millennial stuff over and over. I'm, I'm just saying, like their cop version of alcohol. We go way off into the sticks, but they the drummer. <laughs> The drummer did the singing, and then the lead singer did the drumming, and it was fucking blinding. It was really, really good. <laughs> They've still got it, man. They've still got the bare naked ladies. I love. <laughs> I mean, still, still got it. As in, when did you see this? <laughs> uh, two thousand and fourteen or something. Okay, so yeah, quite recent. The world was already falling apart by that. Yeah, point. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, it was like one of the first gigs I went to with Mids. So yeah, it was good. Mm. It was a Gamergate was on oh. the horizon. <laughs> exactly. Anyway. Okay, well, well. speaking of still good after all these years, anime. Yeah. Andy, Uma what Musa have you watched that's new? Uma Musume, Pretty Darby Season 2 is the kind of anime that, like Bare Naked Ladies, you can't believe <laughs> it's still about. And Someone also... tells you you should be ashamed of enjoying. <laughs> and, then, and then also... And they'd be right. <laughs> it's got the boom anime babes that make you think the wrong thing. <laughs> oh, fuck off. Fuck off. <laughs> Uh, like a 2021, no rules. <laughs> this is a cursed episode. <laughs> uh, I so... okay. So this anime, girls or horses? That's the summary. What makes it? 
what what well, makes it need a second season in <laughs> if you've forgotten uh well i think the real reason is money and that the mobile game is finally coming out but right um if you've forgotten the uh, intrepid lore of uma musume they are horse girls <laughs> um which weirdly i've noticed don't have ears every all the <laughs> human ears are covered by hair apart from uh one supporting character called gold ship who has like these weird like circular things that are meant to look like blinders on to where her ears are because she has her hair tied back very strange anyway uh so horse girls they they go to a horse racing academy and then they race in a in a grand prix like horse racing there's no betting remember you can't bet no betting but there mm-hmm. is instead the winner gets to do an idol concert which is the fucking the bit that i always forget i always forget that it's just like oh it's not really a show <laughs> it's not just that they're really good at racing they also do an idol concert and i'm just like why is the idol bit there there's it makes no sense uh and the thing and the I... loser gets turned into glue so that's that's rough <laughs> well interesting you mentioned that so as you sure as i'm sure you will remember the first season um followed special week and silent suzuka uh silent suzuka in real these being real horses in real life every one of them um and silent suzuka as i'm sure you remember um has a bad leg and then just goes off to america in real life she has a bad leg and dies so she probably <laughs> does get turned into glue <laughs> but, but, um, but she but this one seems to follow the heated, comp- uh, the heated rivalry between Tokai Teo and Mejiro McQueen, who were also briefly mentioned, I believe, in the first season. I honestly can't remember. This show has a tendency to like mention sh- mention characters and like horses that are literally walking past in the background with a sign on saying their name and. I'm sure there's some great yeah. stuff. Like, it's got that horse fan service, yeah. It has on. it has got that horse fan service. And like you look at sort of like Toei Tokei Teo and you look at the horse equivalent of that and you can see where the design comes from. This is what's annoying. Like the designs are good, they're cute looking characters, and the stories it is bad and dumb. Um but it all just sort of works. And this is what I really hate about it, is that I I enjoy watching it. And the first se- episode one of season two <laughs> It's back to its normal dumb form where someone's eating carrots, which is like the horse version of racist food profiling. But it's great. <laughs> <laughs> Are they really into sugar, uh, salt licks or sugar cubes too? Uh, they have one is really into sweets. Uh, um. One, there is one great sort of character like these. So these characters just like side characters. I've written everything. There's one character who just like whenever they're in a dining hall scene. There's the same horse that's eating like a huge mound of food and then invariably whilst they're talking gets up and then comes back with an even larger mound of food. <laughs> Doesn't say anything, hasn't got a voice, it's just there in the background and it's always right. quite funny. And it's like these little things, these little like tricks that just gets you involved and invested and kind of makes you like this show more than you really should and it really deserves to be. Uh, it is Psy Games, so... You know, money, 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 money. Money, money, yeah. money. Although I don't know how much money because, as I've said, this thing's been in production for like a couple of, uh, like season one has been in was that what like two, three years ago? 
when we first started watching mm. it. We're having long breaks. It's like what happened with Golden Kamui. Things take a long time to, to come back around now. I guess, but it, it to me, it just feels... And there was that Puchi uh, Usa Musume, Uma Musume, which I have to confess I didn't um, not, but, a, not a true not, fan. <laughs> not, a, not, a, not a true fan. Um, and so I just think that the game just took forever to come out because they were like, so how the fuck is this going to be a game? And now they're like, uh, okay. <laughs> in, in, in fact, Andy, according to Wikipedia, the game comes out <laughs> in six weeks. It still hasn't come out yet. <laughs> well, mid-season is going to come out. Uh, it's insane. It's, it's, <laughs> it's the Cyberpunk 2077 of the anime game world. <laughs> Um, we'll see. We don't. We may not be that buggy yet. But yeah, no. The uh, the anime came out in in April 2018, so it's been yeah, yeah. It's, it's been close to three years since it came out. It's oh insane. yeah, shit. I guess that is three years now. <laughs> like, that was like two years ago. Oh wait, no. <laughs> no, yeah. I yeah. Welcome, welcome everybody to being mentally stuck in 2020 for a very long time. I'm mm. expecting that a lot of just being like, it's 2020. Oh, it's 2020. It's halfway through 2021. It's the shortest decade be. ever. It, yeah. it's, it's only been 10 days and I already regret doing July, January. Like, I was <laughs> back, you know. But, but Friday, I was just like, oh, I could do with a drink. Just forget everything. Well, <laughs> also, you burned yourself out with your terrible beer advent calendar, too. So. Oh, my God. I've still got one. It's a stout. I'm not drinking it. <laughs> Turning it into some, like, you. Anyway, um, so that <laughs> that is Uma Musume season two. Uh, You're going to watch all of it? You're going to quit three episodes in? I'm definitely going to watch all of it, mate. It's it's banging. I'm sure that the, you know, the heated rivalry that seems to reflect the real world events of uh, Tokai Teo and Mejiro McQueen uh, will be gripping and I can't wait to see what happens. <laughs> Dumb show. Anyway, uh, next thing I've also been watching. Real, real quick, you said you made the joke about making glue with Silent Suzuka. I yeah. did not realize that he just died on the track while leading yeah. by 12 lengths. Yeah. His heart just gave out while running. Jesus Christ. <laughs> it's fucking shocking. But in this wow. one, in this one, Silent Suzuka wins and goes to America. And then there's an amazing bit where every now and then she's just on a Zoom call. It just has her head on a screen. She's just like, <laughs> yeah, that is the most 2021. <laughs> No, twenty end of twenty twenty beginning of twenty twenty one fate for a horse ever. It's it's like yeah, they go to America where they call on Zoom and no one ever sees them again. <laughs> I think uh, we've already got our our episode title name. I put it in the Slack. It's like, it's, it's the opposite of coming to America. It's yeah, yeah. no Eddie Murphy. <laughs> just a, a farm just upstate. a. Yeah, just a heart, a horse whose heart is too big. Speaking of, speaking oh, of God. Andy. Oh, God. Speaking of, uh, Andy, what else have you been watching? Uh, uh, the other one thing I've watched, I think a few of us are also uh, hot on the heels to watch, is Yudu Camp Season th- 2. I was going to say 3, because how could we all forget Heia Camp? The miniseries that everybody loved. That What was, was that stylistically different than Eurocamp, Heia Camp? Was it just was it was it short, short episodes? Yeah, okay. it was short, and then it was also around like I think it was around like one specific area. It felt very much like an infomercial um, for I mean, a particular area, which is, I think, Duncan's problem is that season two. Fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, come on. Like, if, if, if you stamped by the tourist board of whatever on the end of it, I would have not have even blinked. I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, that scans. I mean, they but, did for Heyacamp. Like, Heyacamp yeah. was literally made just for some, like, park round 
Fuji, I can't. I li- literally can't remember what it is. Yeah, but it was like you- some kind of like scavenger hunt where you like go around and get stamps from different attractions, and that was the whole show of the yeah. the, the room camp girls just going Yam- around doing that. Yeah, Yamanashi I mean, was the uh, place. It was mm. yeah. I uh, think with this, the problem with Eurocamp is like most of the enjoyment comes from their just like light back and forth banter and interaction of the club members and because they decided to open with a little bit of a, a flashback for Rin who is the, like the almost pineapple hair dude girl who has an unusually large bun on top of her head to her, her pre unusually large bun proto, be, proto beehive haircut yeah so yeah. um which was actually, that was the like the the best bit she she's her <laughs> Her role within the larger Eurocamp uh, universe is that most Eurocamp the, cinematic universe. Yeah, <laughs> is that they have the main supergroup, which mm-hmm. uh, work together to camp together, and she has her solo franchise where she goes on solo camps. And so we got introduced to young young, young Rin, who is being took off to the uh, the countryside w- w- to camp for the first time. I'm in her granddad's old tent, and but her her dad like arranges for someone to come and teach her how to uh, uh, make a campfire fire. correctly, and it's it's quite quite funny because you like see he see this guy wandering by while she's she's trying to light it and failing and he's all like oh here use this hatchet and use this pine cone and and then you later it cuts to the his, her dad at, at a diner and the the bloke coming over and them sort of like nodding at each other and like say well done it's like this weird I, weird I camping conspiracy on, i didn't pick up on that i just thought it was that he probably asked her asked to check on her and then helped her light a fire not like he was like i see my child wants to light a fire please go instruct her on how to light a fire like i think it was just a general what, help. You, th- you think he could see her see where she was camped <laughs> from the diner like with a telescope he's like no he's got like a palantir he's he's saramoning it that's what you made it sound like you made it sound like he's like but yeah no it was a very good first opening bit and then it felt kind of like Introducing everyone again because it's been, yeah, a, been yeah. a hot minute, and then um, them just sort of like going, "Oh, I really want to buy this, this, and this." Hey, camping mm. equipment's expensive, so I understand what you mean. Uh, and 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 then we get told next episode it's a solo camp, so it's like we're not we've we've not intru- reintroduced everyone, and by actually showing them, we've just sort of like having them have a, a text conversation, and then next episode they're probably not going to see them on screen at all. Either it's just going to be another long infomercial. So I'm, I'm not, I'm not feeling happy about this. I, I, I want it's quiet hijinks. I, I loved it. I thought, and also if she's going to Issei, Issei is a beautiful place. I can't wait for them to see the design sets and the uh, background art on Issei. Because I mean, the thing with Yuru Camp and same with Nonnonbiori, like it looks fucking gorgeous. The amount of detail and effort they put in these beautiful watercolored like landscapes is really something like gorgeous and worthwhile and so in many ways um it's sort of trying to persuade like uh show the beauty of camping as much as it can romanticize it and i feel that it it does a good job of doing that even in that like opening 10 minutes where it's just the little kid uh kid rin trying to work out how to camp yeah for me ends, at least ends with it, a proper cinematic shot of mount fuji at mm-hmm. dawn it's yeah. like 
There's the. <laughs> There's your postcard. Um, but yeah, no, I, I thought that I thought that that was like really sweet and like does the has that bit of like wishful camping and then it goes into reintroducing the characters again and I thought it was really fun. I I really liked the first episode. I I but then again, it's also like yeah, I I would have to see. I think the the solo camp is just gonna it's not gonna be purely win. It's gonna be other stuff in it as well, mm. um, which is interesting and because. Uh, talking about solo adventures, uh, the uh, so I'm a I'm a so I'm a spider. So what? Or Kumo Deska <laughs> Nanika <clears throat> seemed to me um, to be exactly the opposite. I really loved um, the solo talking of the spider, and then hated mm-hmm. it when it moved away. Uh, if this is if Which you are is unaware of this, yeah. If we're, if you unaware, we'll talk about it in a bit. But if you're unaware of this show, came out quite recently this season. It's about a girl called Kumoko. Well, you don't know. That's the name that she's got on the show. But she turned uh, her school seems to be hit by an isekai bomb, and then she gets reborn <laughs> into an isekai world, and um, she gets reborn as a spider. And then what you find out uh, about fifteen twenty minutes in is that there are other there is a normal, I guess, human race as well, and it seems like a lot of the students and teacher have also been reborn as humans, uh, amusingly not one of them, not in the same gender, uh, and then also one of them being like a dragon thing. Um, and I really liked the spider, the when she turned into a spider and when she was chatting by herself and she was talking about being a hikimori in her own like web. I really liked that. I thought that was really funny. I thought her, her internal monologue, because it is just her trying to fight... Mm the sort of the dungeon that she's found herself in it's just her fighting other other things uh and i thought that her monologues were really funny and really well animated and really enjoyable and then it swapped to these other people that i didn't really care about and i kind of lost interest and then it went back to her and i was like yeah mm-hmm. great how it's, did you feel <laughs> so is it, is it not con- confining the viewpoint to her the no, whole time no, that's an interesting choice i so- think it's because they wanted to sort of highlight the fact that uh, yeah, it was a weird choice, and it was something that I think like Tensura or uh, uh, what's that slime show full title called? Forgotten it already. Uh, that time That's... I got reincarnated as a slime. Yeah, thank you. Like that doesn't that has it's just the slime dude for like a whole episode or two episodes, and they don't mm-hmm. even bother reintroducing it. But this one, I think they wanted to say that it's not just her, but uh, like they wanted to dispel the myth that it wasn't. It's, she's not the only one being reincarnated. Mm. Basically, it was the whole class that got reincarnated. Has had you read any of the the manga at all, Andy? No, not a bit. So here's the interesting thing: I'd read some of the manga before, and I know John had as well, which is a shame. What he's not here, but so we don't actually see any of the human world stuff in the manga. So I don't know if that's something which exists in the light novels got changed to the manga and now has just been revived in the. Um, anime version, or if that is a an entirely a, an adaptation choice they've made for the anime, which may be something to find out for next time. But I kind of enjoyed the the chemistry between the the class because, like, it's an extremely high high energy spider performance. Like really she are. does not she does not pause for breath one moment. It's just this stream of consciousness and panic and and oh uh, ha, 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 ha. and one of the big 
gimmicks that we haven't got to yet of the of the manga is that eventually she gets a split personality and so she has like this um f- four different voices within her head which each have a different entirely different personality in a different role which, which was is... kind of hinted at in the ending song. yeah um uh, that and that's very uh, very reminiscent of some other um isekai uh shows we've seen um particularly uh villainous yeah, particularly <laughs> villainous, where that sort of conference room of her different yeah. uh, uh, tendencies is getting together to to do it really was actually kind of wonderful because the the VA did an amazing job of of s- selling each each sort of like part of her personality differently. Right. It was and a very good performance in general, <clears throat> just very yeah. flexible. And I kind of worry that because the, the 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 spider performance so far is so manic, so oh, relentless that maybe it I, I don't know. It's a very experienced v, VA. Um, yeah, she's I, done she's done a lot of stuff. She was do you in Boku no Hero Academia, which is a completely yeah. different voice range from what she's doing now. Yeah. So mm. you'd hope that she's she's got the the range to go and. Uh, a, to do different personalities within the same sort of general I, tone, yeah. but you a lot of that will also depend on the director. Like, can the director actually does do they know enough what they're looking for to ask for it? And that's what I I because they've done such a sort of over the top <laughs> performance from her. <laughs> Uh, with the, the main spider bit, I, I I worry that maybe they they only have one image of her in her in their head, and that we're just going to get. Mean, yeah, you are right. Vet. I don't know. We'll have to wait and find out. But you are right. She's also Madoka and Madoka Magica. She's Diane and Nanatsu no Taizai, and I. Uh, yeah, she's and and Tatsumaki as well in One Punch Man. So she's got a range of voices and a range of styles and in. in her wheelhouse so it'll be shocking if they don't use her for those like you said those sort of like split personalities that she clearly has um, her being I, Aoi Yuki so we should say her name before just, just oh, rather right. than, yeah. Aoi, rather than uh, referring to Aoi her. Yuki uh, Yuki yeah. Aoi sorry but yes um, the, and also there's quite a big cast as well like it's I'm looking I don't know how it's going to continue um, but yeah it was I didn't know that it it was weird how I felt janky the uh, the the CG? class. No, the class bit was. I actually thought the CG was fine. I really okay. enjoyed the range of movements and sort of like you can see. I think that was a big complaint that a lot of people had coming in was that why is she the spider CG? And you can actually see like you can just see on the amount of movement and the amount of expressions and the amount of. Like the amount of stuff that that cat that one spider does, that it really benefited. Yeah. I felt being in CG. They use the fact that she's this small thing moving around fast as a as this benefit for using CG. Whereas when they want to cut to her face, they just animate it normally. It's it's yeah. not like they're 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 wet, wedded to to using the CG for everything. It's just okay. This is when it's convenient to use it. This is when I'll I'll do it. And as you say, they they have shown um, some little bits of of deft touchness with it as well. Like there's this bit where she's like um, 
just run away from the, the the part where she's reborn and she's like sort of like muttering to herself and and they they animate the spider just sort of like wobbling and just <laughs> like just and you get this this feel of nervous energy from it and just like it's these nice little touches um good animation has where you can read mood from movement and that's that's a nice thing to I, be able to say of cgi I, I would also say that i felt that that fight with the toad was kind of messy uh i don't yeah. i it was a lot of reused shots and then on top of that i i wasn't really understanding like who he was firing how he was firing uh, it it just sort of it, it felt messy that fight but yeah. overall i really enjoyed it and i felt that probably not going to be that heavy of an action show although i might be yeah. eating my words pretty sincerely i do severely. wonder from the key art just how heavily they're going to lean on the rest of her, her class now like if if they don't do anything with them they've spent like a quarter of an episode introducing these characters to do nothing with them and if they they are going to do something with them that's like very different from how i've seen this tale being told which and it's it's not like there's nothing which happens in it. It's a lot of things happen in the the in yeah. her story alone. So it'll be. I wonder. Do we I know mean, if it's a single core or if it's got multiples? Oh, let's see. Yeah, t- two two core, twenty four episodes. It's, yeah, um, only Isekai get that kind get that yeah. kind of front loaded <laughs> support. And, and it, it is also worth mentioning then that like just looking at certainly like uh, Feirun is the like little thing on that boy's shoulder. Uh, Kitamura Eri is a massive seiyu. Same with uh, Toyama Nao, who was uh, Annabelle, the the blonde girl who was a boy previously in the other world. Like, so they've got it was a massive seiyu as well. Like, they've got some really big talent, really big names, and, and also I think this anime, like this show, has been in the cards for years now. People have really been looking forward to this show, so. I would be shocked if they try doing an original anime ending when it feels like this is definitely something that can deserve a second season. Yeah. Well, the one thing we have to worry about, obviously, is from the same studio who made Berserk, the TV series. So They tried hard. (laughs) They they didn't have a lot of budget and they tried hard. And it feels like there's budget in this. It feels like there's some real budget. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know that John really didn't like the art from what he'd seen on previews, so it's a shame that he's not here to talk about it. it the, the art definitely does cutify her hugely compared to the the manga art. Like she's drawn a lot more rounded. No, she's she's kind of got a lot smaller head and a lot less uh, facial features. Like the it's a lot. Her mood more comes from like special effects in the manga, like drawn on, which which they still pl- seem to have noted and play on to a certain degree within um, this show, where she's like reading the stats of things and and <laughs> goes into a room that uses okay, I've I've got this special skill which is appraisal, so I'll, I'll use it and it will tell me the weaknesses of all these it's monsters, just, and all, all uh, that happens yeah. is she gets pelted by the, these different names of all these different monsters, so it's you see her like ducking and dodging like ah no too much information that was the i mean the introduction to the appraisal skill was the part that i hated kind of the most when it was like really self-referential because she was like i've played i've played these games i know exactly what i'm doing so if i just like you know i'll get this appraisal skill this is the most useful skill it's the game breaking skill and it's just like it's such a long run-up to a joke that is obvious that really i was like come on come on let's get over this that and i felt that 
at the end I was enjoying it, but only because it was not trying to be self-referential on its own stuff. And I hope that that becomes a lot less. I hope they <laughs> stop like self-referential the fact that he she knows she's in an isekai. She knows what an isekai is and she's played a lot of video games because yeah. it feels like, A, that's every fucking isekai. And B, like it's the same jokes that I'm tired of. And I don't, like, it didn't, didn't really make me laugh and it wasn't very well executed. Oh, come on, you don't like the same jokes every time an isekai does any does all of its standard genre stuff? I don't I don't mind it, but it I guess my problem is is that it was the speed at which it was um the joke was revealed. It was so slow and it was so painfully obvious what was gonna happen, where she was mm. just gonna like appraise a rock and it just says it's a rock. I'm just like it's a it's a I mean I, you know what's gonna happen. <laughs> uh, but some people some people who I think have a different sense of humor than me and probably you think it's really funny to see a joke coming and then have to be made to sit there and wait for 30 seconds for the punchline to fire. I hate it. I feel like my time is being disrespected, wait, but there wait. are people who like that. I, I there are people who like the rhythm of it. I, mm. yes, I, I know what you're saying. And I also think that there's a certain, um, I like it when comedy expect, like you expect the joke, but then the comedy takes so long for you to reveal <laughs> that joke. I think like I was watching the first episode of Derry's Girls and there's a couple of times in that where it, it really tailors it. And that to me makes it funny. Like mm. when it's such a long, like log, 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 log wait. But this was sort of not that long a wait. It didn't want to commit to that long wait. Just wanted to sort of get it over, but not, I don't know. Specifics, right? Like comedy's a really, you know, personal yeah. thing. It's subjective, um, yeah. <clears throat> And uh, yeah, I can I agree with you, but it was um... the the manga's not at least it wasn't really a comedy, so it was that's one aspect they've really played up to the the, the maximum in in that first episode that it was her plight was made far more comedic than uh, not tragic, but it's it, it, they really do play up her underdog status in the in, in the manga like. Okay, you're this tiny spider. What are you fighting? Oh, a dragon, a huge dragon, and you're just a, and that's where it, the sort of verve of its title comes from. It's okay, you're you're a tiny spider, but so what? You've got yeah. you've got yeah. can can do spirit, and uh, you will f- fight your way out of that dungeon. And it and it could be that you know the manga. I mean, I don't know how much how much did you read of the manga. I th- God, Not quite a lot, I guess. <laughs> no, probably about thirty chapters, but it was it was a big manga. But they like even after that, she hadn't left the, the dungeon at that point. It was part of the the manga's this thing is like this is an absolutely massive dungeon. This is like half a continent spanning dungeon, which she starts at the very bottom of and has to figure out a safe way to get to the surface. And I mean that. Yeah, that that sounds interesting, but I, I also just wonder whether the um the VNs like the manga to light novel translations, I would be it wouldn't surprise me if it takes a lot longer for a light novel to be translated in a manga than you can to mm. you can get away with a of cut a lot of that brevity in in a visual novel in a anime. You mean by by having a monologue while you pan over stills or low motion scenes of <laughs> yeah, a character exactly. doing something. Um, or a yeah, montage, yeah. So yeah. we'll see. And finally, the other thing that I'm watching, real uh, quick before is... we, before we move on from Aoi Yuki's performance, um, I just wanted to point out that that she does have a lot of range. She's Tanya in the saga of Tanya the yeah. Evil, and uh, to specifically trap Jeff, um, she's uh, she was Komachi in Snafu, 
and um, and I, and she was mommy in Rent a Girlfriend. So she yeah. she's been a lot of different. The uh, fact that Komachi and mommy are the same voice actress is is a true testament to someone's range. It's insane yeah. because and one then, of them's the nicest person in the world, and one of them is evil, God. evil and soulless, um, <laughs> comically I, evil and soulless. Yeah, and and also it should be worth mentioning that uh, the director also seems to have a lot of clout. Uh, Shin Itaki uh, Itagaki, who did the opening, the second opening to Bakemonogatari, which I thought was the most interesting. Right? Seems like he's done a lot of stuff. To, I mean, to he's he got famous doing TQ, so that's weird because going from like non-tweened gag, gag short anime shorts that are like two minutes long that don't even qualify for AnaDBs, like cut off for there's not enough animation in them for them to count as animation. Like That's... like Inferno Cop to go from that to what yeah. seems to be f- relatively playing it straight isekai comedy. It's very weird. But you can so. see, I can see that speediness in the way that she speaks. Like her, the ending. Yeah, song that makes has, sense a lot. As her, like really fucking, like probably produced, definitely, definitely produced, but really like showing the speed at which she can belt out words in a really insane, uh, denky, uh, Dempagumi style, like. Uh, like song of like Umaru-chan proportions of like mm. speaking fast. Um, has anyone here? I've already asked. Has anyone here watched TQ? Even a few episodes of TQ? I think I've watched a few episodes. I, it's I like a pot. It, it. it was on YouTube, and then during like the brief renaissance where places were putting it on YouTube, like uh, Turning Girls, but then it all came down, and now it's only available on Crunchyroll. And I cannot imagine anything more miserable than like watching three commercials while Crunchyroll barfs out minute and 30 second episodes for you so Same maybe fucking. don't watch it Same fuck. i mean oh just get it on premium not the stupid high level premium the one, <laughs> the one where you don't need to buy an anime every month or whatever the fuck they're watching <laughs> uh, and then so finally, anyway moving on moving on uh the the last show that i've been watching this season is uh horimiya the uh sort of love comedy that uh mids Especially was really uh, pleased to see animated, so we got that on the download and watched. Uh, I it was kind of so basically it's just it feels like very much a um, romantic comedy as you'd expect. Uh, there's the uh, there's uh, uh, it seems to focus in this episode at least. Uh, Izumi uh, Miyamura and uh, Kyoko Hori, uh, the uh, Hori Mia in the title's shortening, and it seems to like. Basically, he's a bit of a uh, gloomy guy. And then uh, outside of school, he is a visual K looking guy with piercings and tattoos. And then uh, Hottie is like a pretty smart uh, girl who's pretty popular. But then at, at home, she has to look after her brother, younger brother and um, like be a house mum effectively. And then I they... feel like that's almost a trope in, in anime. I have seen that kind of thing a few <laughs> times. Like, I don't know what you'd call it, but like the popular school is like just a, a homebody at, at home. And it's, it's this, I feel like they're signaling something like you have this, like you're not actually allowed to, to be popular and enjoy it. You have to be popular. And then at home you have to be struggling and looking after people and working hard I, being top at your class. Yeah, I I don't know. I, I felt that it was very much she was sort of like giving off that like homely motherly air of care and compassion and love that um I thought was quite refreshing. I mean it's it is a love it is a romance through and through. It is a 
there's a like uh, uh it's a you know romance shonen anime and i feel mm. that um it was actually like the ant like it was really sweet basically uh the mm-hmm. she you know it, the story doesn't really go didn't feel like it went anywhere that fast uh <laughs> they sort of became more friendly because of again reasons with their brother like they ran into each other at home and then they invited them in and then they started to get to know each other and it just feels them slowly falling in love um which is really cute like um, I, I I enjoyed the side character part the the the, the best the best like Toru was like a, a dear sweet boy whose whose heart was destined to be crushed from the moment he revealed he 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 was had the hots for the main character yeah and yeah. who he it, it was not Toru he he's not, your your name's not in the title, mate. You, you're doomed. <laughs> but, <laughs> but also, it's the sort of show where you know they he could she could have said yes and then it not work. Like it was, yeah. it is a romance comedy after all, and the romance is sort of heavily um, identified or like heavily titled. Like the, that's the forefront of the show. But I think talking to Mids, she says the stuff that's really great about the uh, manga because she's a big fan of it. She said that. Um, that she really likes is the fact that all the side characters get their own day and they get their own little side character and they do get like coupled off and i i guess it sort of feels very natural and very like heartwarming which is sort of what i felt when watching this first episode and mm-hmm. seeing these two characters interact and they're sort of the idea that they both had their own secrets that they they shared with each other and then they also like kept a secret and they liked that they had their own little thing uh, i thought mm. it was really sweet I really yeah. enjoyed it. Uh, animation was beautiful as well. The character design is gorgeous, uh, and yeah, really, really good. I like that the, the writing was fast enough to to make a big play of how Hori is the only one who knows Miyama's secret about his piercings, and then immediately he, he a couple of scenes later have to uh, discover them as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and they're just like. You've got piercings. What, 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 why have you done that? And he's like, "This is nothing." And then it's, it's just funny to have like this this set up. Oh, this is a special bond between them. And they're like, "No, it's not." I, <laughs> I, I, I thought it was actually pretty interesting, like the way like the dynamic of the show like, plays out because the like the like the setup kind of reminds me of the like you know, like the manic pixie dream girl thing where you like you have your guy yeah. who's like very straight laced and like buttoned down and then like the sort of like airy fairy airhead who's like sweet and charming and brings out all of their best qualities sort of floats into their life but the like the dynamic is gender swapped so you have Mm -hmm. the guy who's like you know sort of like gender ambiguous and like very nice and sweet and dumb and she's like you know everybody is kind of like having to like help him like you like keep his secrets of his like piercings and everything else and but that, I thought that was like a like a fun dynamic that you usually don't see in in that orientation, which I thought was kind of interesting. Yeah, she's he's a very sort of I guess gender fluid, and even the joke at the end where he was just like, I don't really like uh, the joke at the end where uh, Hori com- like said to Izumi that he turned her down, turned Toru down, and then he was like, Oh, uh, I can't remember what she said, but it was basically like the end was like, Oh, would you want to go out with him instead? And then he just says, Well. I don't think we're a really good match. Like that's sort of like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he, yeah. He's like, he doesn't like freak out at the idea that <laughs> yeah. you know, he might be gay. It's yeah, it's 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 nice and it's refreshing. Because like kinda... he was like genuinely like invested in the idea, that, like oh, he's gonna confess to her, and like maybe it'll we'll have to drift apart, but at least they'll be happy. And 
you know, so like when she says that she turned him down, you know, uh, Miyamura is like kind of disappointed and feels bad for <laughs> Toru. She's like, what, do you like him too? And he's like, nah, it wouldn't work out. <laughs> it's really just not, as you say, it's nice that you can have a love rivalry ship and it's not like, oh, who who can be the most masculine to prove their, their love for her? It's, yeah. it's like first episode, someone confesses, gets rejected and then just basically goes... I'm, I'm sad now but I'll get over it and and like and the fact that they sort of bond over his re- rejection as a little bit as well is, is kind of nice and so yeah it's, it's just like kind of as you say he's 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 got these feminine signifiers to his behavior as well as his appearance which is which is interesting and, she, and yeah I guess she's got a few male signifiers in terms of her self-reliance and being, being and like doing all the all these bits where she's like going, getting all the shopping, making sure everything's is done. Like this, you know how there's kind of like this certain coding to the the sort of housewife idea where they have like this competence to them, where they 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 have their lists, they get their things done. Like this idea of like their their role in the family makes them competent. Like she's mm-hmm. she's got that competence to her. Which is is interesting to see projected on someone her her age. Yeah, and um, and, and there was also loads of like tropes as well, like when uh, Izumi's like running away like to get the eggs, and then he looks really hot whilst jumping over a fence, and then someone else sees her, <laughs> and I'm just like, it feels very tropey. Sometimes it feels very tropey, like you said, and I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing if it's done very well, and I felt that it was executed really well. It's aware um, of them, but it doesn't harp on them. I think that's yeah. the difference between it and uh, uh, that first episode of Spider. That it, it, yeah, it brings them up, but it doesn't like spend like a good minute or so laboring the joke. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, so that that is my lot. What has anybody else been watching? Uh, I've also been watching. I think I, I don't know if this is the show that Andy would be into or not. I I, I kind of get the impression, but it's called Bottom Tier Character Tomazaki. Sounds uh, like which my is, trash mate. and it's a kind of a similar setup there is this like gloomy kid it's it's centered on the the guy in this case is it's gloomy kid who's just like oh real life is like a shit game and fuck this like the only good game is this like fake smash clone and he's like number (laughs) one player in japan and he uh like he comes there's like only like one other character that he respects and then they finds out that they're both in japan so it's like oh we should meet up in real life and it turns out that hey this like other really good fake smash player is the most popular girl in school and then she's like mad that it's like what like my my rival online is this like sad sack asshole character like you've been having <laughs> you like you've given up on life and she like shames him like basically the show is like her like shaming him into like trying to be a decent person and like giving life a chance because you know the beginning of the show he's like oh like i played this like popular kid at smash and he was like oh this game is just about matchups and the sun was in my eye and i'm tired and this game is stupid anyways and he's like oh this guy's just making excuses you know this is this is how people are like you know and then she like turns it around and is like you've never actually had like any fun or tried at all in life and you are trying to and you like have blown it all off and said that oh it's all imbalanced it's all garbage like i have i've been dealt a shit hand and i can't do anything with it 
And so the whole thing is just going to be her, like, giving him jobs episode to episode to, like, you know, by the end of this week, somebody has to ask you if you have a girlfriend because you look so much better than you did last week. And, like, little things like that. And, like, it's... it's I can't... Sort of, dis- like, sort of like Hitori Bocci, the first episode of that. Uh, you have to remi- refresh my memory. The one about the lonely girl, and then the best friend says, I'm going to stop becoming best friends with you until you friend everyone in school mm, yeah 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 yeah. kind of like that and it, like the dynamic is something that's like you know the subtext of a lot of things that i end up getting into and the show like just making it text i don't know if it's gonna work out or not i'm just i'm I, i'm sort of in for the ride now i don't know if i'm actually gonna get invested into it yeah, yeah. No, i'd check it out for sure yeah and it's it also is like very yeah it's on it's on Funimation it is very it is actually a very nice looking show, um, mm-hmm. and I don't, this is maybe like my own uh, it's, it's it's also like Studio Project Number Nine which I've who I've never heard of. Hmm. That mean it doesn't ring a bell. And and also like the original light novels were was written by a woman which is my own personal bias like I'm typically more interested in this kind of thing written by a woman even if it's for a guy. So I don't know, I'm I'm interested to see where it goes. Uh, yeah. I also have been watching. Uh, I watched the first episode of Hortensia Saga, which just kind of looked like uh like Lodos War like, and hmm. it was just like I thought I'd give it a try and eh, it's very flat. It's very one note. It just looks like it looks like basically. I think it actually is literally a translation or a, an adaptation of a video game where it's like there's mm. these three characters and they were united and then this is this is pretty almost word for word for some reason one of the lord of the kingdoms turned traitor and they attacked and now there's a war and i might give it one more episode i might not like it is it seems like it's trying to be kind of like fantasy uh legend of galactic heroes but like it does not have the characters it doesn't have the, like, that's a big ask. Sorry, yeah, what yeah. was the show? What was the show called again? Sorry, Hortensia Saga. Like, Hortensia I don't know. Saga. I don't know if there's any hype or anything around it. Like, I just I saw it in the list of new shows. It's like, okay, this looks like it's just a very straight, like it's just a fantasy show played very straight. But they might be playing it too straight. I don't know. Yeah, when fantasy shows are played way too straight, they can feel really boring and sort of really dumb. Um, but, nothing... but but if it's well done, like I mean, Legend of the Galactic Heroes is like the bog standard like uh, space opera, but it's just it's pulled off so well and the characters are written so well that it draws you in anyways. It doesn't have to like be like subverting you and like introducing you to new and exciting ideas. It's just like mm-hmm. oh, it's just they just did it well and it makes it entertaining. And I don't think Hortensia Saga is really going to pull it off, unfortunately. No, it it looks. Yeah, I've just, just looking at the art of it. I don't know. It doesn't look like my thing. I'd, I would definitely have given it. But. Yeah. Um, also, <laughs> uh, I think I've, I'm sharing this with Duncan as well. Heaven's Design Team. Mm-hmm. I, I think you're a lot more. <laughs> I actually ended up watching half of it with no sound because my daughter demanded to like be able to watch it with me and like stole my headphones. Uh, so take it away and tell us what the show is because I only got maybe half of it (laughs) so the long and the short of it is uh, God's out got bored of creating the new creatures for the world so he's outsourced it and we get to go to the uh, Heaven's Design team which is basically a small office it's essentially a small office comedy 
about designing animals. Mm -hmm. And so you've got a lot of jokes, a lot of, of sort of workplace feel to it, but also a lot of design jokes, like uh, with a little bit of just general humour about animals and stuff worked in. So you've got, like, for me, like the bit which really sold it to me is you've got all the designers have, like, their own little quirks. Like, that, that the, the way they introduce it to us is, is this idea that, um, okay, God's given you a new design brief, and so... Okay, what we've got three suggestions, and first the senior designer is going to make his his suggestion, and his suggestion is okay. I, I here's a Pegasus. It's a horse with wings, and everyone's like, "Oh God!" He, he always tries to do a horse. He he designed the <laughs> horse, and every time he get, gets a brief, he tries to make some variant on the horse. Everything's got to be a horse, and it's like, "Oh God, no, not again, not another horse." And then 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 another one of the design teams like. He just completely ignores the brief and just goes, uh, I instead have designed this tree with a weird minimalist design and uh, uh, these like weird spears going off it. And it's like, okay, that makes no sense at all. Were you even listening? And it's like, <laughs> yeah, he's got this like very like modernist, like, or like postmodern flair to him. Yeah, and then then it's the final one is it's like okay, I've I've got this idea. It's like this really tall deer, and they go okay. It's not perfect, but it's the best we got. We'll go with it, and so 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 they they take it to the prototyper, and she 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 makes it, and uh, I I really enjoy that character as well, the the prototyper. She's it's she's really sort of like cliched design. She's got like these goggles on and like this uh, mechanic suit, but the VA performance is excellent and. Mm-hmm. It's, she just looks so put upon at having to put together these things these idiots keep coming up with, and so so she she makes this deer and and you see this deer come through this door and deer's got this really tall tall neck ah oh, it's it's some kind of giraffe and immediately it faints and they go oh no that, that, it doesn't work because it immediately gets uh, dies of a, a stroke because its neck's so long and so you get this like <laughs> mechanical tweaking of this beast until it becomes a giraffe and like uh, this stamp of approval from god at the end mm-hmm. and i uh, i think like my favorite moment of it was when they the minimalist designer uh is giving this slideshow to them all and it's like okay i i took a normal animal and i removed the legs and i i removed the arms and, and I created the ass. <laughs> snake. <laughs> and it's like this this revolutionally new animal with no arms or legs. I was the snake. This <laughs> is like <laughs> yeah. And then and then the snake. It's like and also it eats all the bird eggs. And then the bird guy is like, you can't do this to my birds. And then there becomes like and then there's like you know a sort of an interpretation of evolution where. The bird designer is trying to figure out how to make a bird that can fend off the snakes, and the snake designer is trying to figure out ways to help the snakes take the birds, and eventually it culminates in the bird designer creating the secretary bird that just, like, stomps snakes to death whenever it sees them. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, He's is, like, no, how, my snakes! <laughs> how is that... <laughs> How is that animated? Like, how is that joke presented? Is, is it literally like, 
Is it like a narrator going, and then they invented? No, it's it's like each each time you see it cutting back to the bird designer because he he does he he's got he's designed a weaver bird and it makes this incredibly intricate nest and and each time you see it, it cut to the snake eating the poor weaver bird and it's like he's him getting more and more depressed by it. Yeah, and, and each yeah, time then, the, the and the weaver, weaver birds bird like they make bigger and bigger, bigger and nests and he's like yeah. really into like the aesthetics of the birds as well and he's like they've made this disgusting giant uh, <laughs> nest and it just makes the tree look like garbage and it still isn't working <laughs> and then he just like designs a big tall bird that looks sexy and just kicks the shit out of snakes whenever it's decent he's like there i've solved the problem and it is it's it's it, it it made me laugh a lot which is in i it i think like as with sleepy princess last season a lot of this show's um w- working or not working will come from can it keep this this up for a full season of yeah. of jokes and it seems to have a fairly wide cast so i'm hoping that means like you'll you their particular quirks will will play off each other well because like yeah the, the, having the most flamboyant and the most minimalist designer uh sort of act conflict yeah that's a fairly easy joke to make but hopefully there seems to be one guy who just loves making cute animals and another uh, one who just has the weird quirk of he wants to design animals which are nice to eat. He's he's so sold on the idea of the food chain that he says, well, well why don't we just make animals more delicious? Then they'll eat each other more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just makes like a living sausage at first and he's just like, look, they taste so good. And he's like, oh, but don't worry, they won't get eaten overeaten because they have capsaicin in it. And then it, like, it flashes back to him and he's just like barbecuing them with like a great thing of beer and he's like, ah, it's nice and spicy. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I mean, I also want, this is like kind of basic animal comedy that's kind of been done before, but in a different context, I guess. Yeah. It's like, yeah. what makes it, it so amusing? It, it's just really well, well delivered. It's just, the act, the voice VA is good. The animation is actually surprisingly good for, for just this kind of comedy. Mm-hmm. Like you can, you can get away with a lot less than they give. Is, is the best way I'd put it. Yeah. Um, so. Every now and then it'll like drop into, you know, a little like teaching corner because it's like the researchers came up with all this information and we couldn't turn it all into jokes. So we're going to, we're going to tell it to you anyways, sons of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds good. Yeah. It is. Uh, anything else, Jeff? Or is it, yeah, like I plan, I haven't watched Eurocramp cramp yet. I haven't watched uh non non yet. yet. Uh, they're on the list. I haven't got to them. Have you watched the previous two seasons of Non Non Biori? I did. I just, just I, I randomly watched them for no reason a couple of months ago, and I yeah I've I've, I've I don't I, I don't necessarily agree with you, it being the best show of the last decade, but I I enjoyed it for sure. I mean, it is, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> so I am watching two shows, possibly three, if I watch the non non biori movie first which is the main obstacle to me watching the show i also wonder how it is to watch non non biori as it's airing and not be able to just turn on <laughs> the next episode after nothing happens in the previous episode maybe i'll turn it'll it'll make it a better experience I'm, for me i don't know i've got i've got to um hedge a, hedge my bets here that the non non biori movie will have nothing to do with the actual TV series and you'll be fine. It's the principle of the thing, Andy. You can have this conversation every three episodes for the entire history of our podcast, or we can just have it once and then point people back to a timestamp. <laughs> uh, 
So I am watching two shows currently. Uh, the first, which has already de- debuted its first episode, is the is the depending on how you're counting the third or the fourth show by rock uh season um last season was show by rock mashu uh which was a spin-off this one show by rock stars with two exclamation points over uh, uh, after rock and stars um you know <laughs> because playing or playing with like the uh the orthography of of stuff is, is always funny but uh yeah, it's the uh, the the Boonies band that was in Mashimaira has come to town, and they're going to like per- participate in a concert with uh, uh, Phantasmagica or Plasmagica. I forget uh, the main characters' band, um, but <laughs> instead uh, they cause a bunch of traffic because the only girl who can drive is really cautious, uh, and then a giant ghost speaker attacks them, which is set up with a couple of news program interludes in the first episode and they're blamed for the destruction because it destroys like the space needle or whatever of that city and they're blamed for it and so they get thrown in jail with like designer like striped jail uniforms (laughs) and like how are we gonna how are we gonna get out of it and apparently like the legal system in in uh Midi City is very fucked up because they don't get a phone call and they get assigned a lawyer who seems to be like a weird visual K guy I guess they're in I guess they're in music the music city and he's like I never lose um which is I mean on the one hand it's good that that uh Midi City's public defender role uh employs plenty of employs plenty of talented lawyers but yeah it just it's really weird to watch to watch show by rock where there are a couple of explicit jokes but most of the humor, if you're watching it, at least for me, comes from just the sense of heightened ridiculousness that they're inside a phone game, which they haven't mentioned for like seasons. <laughs> they haven't mentioned it since the end of the last of the last of the first season. Um, and yeah, they just get arrested. They're like, you're on the scene. You have to be guilty. And they're like, that's not how it works. And then it just smash cut to them in in like prison with i mean that's with fatigues on that's sort of what i remember from like the first season is is it's very much like oh yeah of course so girl in another world like whatever and then this whole shit about stars coming out of their stomachs and you're just like what when did this bit come oh of course it's a video game yeah 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 it's sanrio knowing that they like can just get away with a vibe as opposed to actually having to build a world um the world is whatever they say it is over the past few episodes it- um, yeah. There were no. I know that you, I remember you liked Retory from the first season. She had did. did not have a single speaking line in, in the first episode of this one. But she's she credited. just stood in the background, and looked com- looked concerned, and was texting all the time, which is <laughs> again vaguely funny in just a sort of vibe way. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, we'll see. There's going to be a big thing, challenging. Like it's a, the ghost speaker is supposedly one of these monsters that's stealing people and eating them, and they're like inside them as like bubbles. Uh, it's whatever. Mm. I don't know. It's fine. I, I, uh, and I also watched. Yes, Andy. I was just gonna say, is it worth me watching the sequel? No, no, it's not. I mean, if if you are not uh, a if, show by Vox, Mashu Madiesh, Madiesh. If you were Mashu Madiesh, yeah. uh, I practiced that in the mirror when we were that. That was the season because I didn't want to stumble through it every Mashu time Mashu I had Mairesh. to say show by Rock, yeah. Mashu Madiesh. Um, yeah. It's if you're not driven on your own to watch them, this season's not going to provide anything I, that will be a finish line that you can feel gratified to cross. 
I mean, it, it's not something that I, I liked the first show by Rock, and I I wanted to like the second season, but I couldn't watch it in in, in Japanese, which I guess makes me the arsehole. But I hate the English dub. No, I mean, so. I think the vocal performances are one of the best parts of yeah. the vibe, so I don't blame you in being like, I don't, I mean, I don't want to watch something dubbed either, or whatever happened with John, where the subs show every single language of subtitle available now. <laughs> he had to quit a show because of that. Was the there anything else you you liked, Ben, or should I go on to my two? Uh, I'm just going to quickly say that I did watch the so slime the first episode of so I got reincarnated as a slime season two airs uh, in a couple of days. There was last week a recap episode that I watched, and I was glad that I watched because I did not remember a lot of these characters. It hasn't been that long since the first season of Slime, right? Has uh, it been two years? Yeah. I don't know, because there's been loads of like OVAs that have been coming out. Yeah, I tried to watch a few of those. I didn't watch all of them. I thought it could be a backup if I if I could if I couldn't finish Hogemono. No, they were kind of they were kind of insufferable. And I just sort of I don't know, like I enjoyed Slime when it was I guess contextualized in the whole series, but then when it was like a separate episode and some of them have already what well, already felt like recaps. I'm just like, am I getting a recap episode or am I getting like an actual interesting episode? Or am I getting the worst, which is a mix of both recap and real content? Um, I mean, it's better than. Are you sure? Because I hate. Well, because you can skip a recap episode. Exactly. I guess is your logic. So if you have to, you have to watch. But um, no. So uh, I did try to watch some of the OVAs. There's five OVAs, which is separate from the Veldora recap. And now this, some like random guards person who's going to be important in the next in the next season had a recap um, that reminded me of a lot of stuff that I didn't remember because it's been two and a half years since since the first season of Slime. But uh, but yeah, I I am indifferent about coming back to this world. The OVAs were weird. One of them was about was just like a pure fan service jiggly boobs and butt episode about about a uh, Rimuru taking drugs so that he could go to sleep. For once, because as a slime, he can't sleep. But he took drugs that were specially formulated to make him simulate sleep. And got to have my girl in the room while... My girlfriend in the room while they... Your girl. While the girl... Oh, my, my girl, my bird. Uh, she, the best girl just, at your side. Just me and my bird watching uh, anime. As I, as I was unfortunately explained to her, I'm like, yes, unfortunately, this is how anime is sometimes. She's like, it, it's just porn. And I'm like, well, it's not very titillating. She's like, I find it titillating. And I'm like, well, I don't find it titillating. Maybe because I've just watched yeah, that much anime. This is dead. This um, is but dead. no, girl's doing... He had a dream that he made butt wrestling like two girls pushing their butts against each other on a stump and the one who falls off loses. Um, Prehistoric Kaijo. He had a dream, he had a dream, he had a dream that he made that. Yeah, basically Kaijo. <laughs> Kaijo. But, uh, but, uh, no, and it's just terrible. And then the next one is the thing where, where he's trying to make plushy Rimuru's and then there's two episodes after that where he's a school teacher and I didn't get to the fifth episode, so was, I can't speak. There was a lot of times, there was a lot of times in the first season, especially in the back half, where they were just like, and then the monster did this. But that's another story for another time. And that's what I expected the OVAs <laughs> to tackle. Like those side stories that they literally explicitly stated they do not have time to do. No, they're not going to go for the Golden Conway strategy. They want to do like spinoffs, all the, all the cheesecakey stuff that they couldn't do on a broadcast yeah, thing. I mean, so. if you're selling DVDs, you've got to show tip. Otherwise, why would you buy? I think it? I think old... these were these were pack-ins with the manga. Oh, I'm really? not sure. No, no. Well, then you even have to be more pandering at that point. Yeah, OVA with the eleventh manga volume, with the twelfth manga volume, 
with the 14th manga volume, the 15th manga volume, and the 16th manga well, volume. They, really they just used it to drive sales. <laughs> they really didn't have any faith in those manga volumes, did they? <laughs> uh, yeah. They're trying to cement it. They got people probably reading the manga after it after it aired and then disappeared for two years. Uh, so now they have to be like, no, please keep buying us, even though we've announced a second season. So Is the light novel ended, or is that still going? Is it a light novel primarily? Yes, it is. It's still going. Seventeen volumes so far. Oh, oh no, there's a. It's based on a. It's based on a full-on novel series that's done, and then it got spun off into a light novel series. What? Wait. Which is still going on. What? How do you there's how do you spin off a, a, a novel into a light novel? Uh, As... less prose, more pictures. <laughs> and then you spin it off into a manga, smaller, and it's even less prose, even books. more pictures. Smaller, smaller books. That's baffling. <laughs> Is it like it was a, it was it was a it was a self published web novel self published web novel first, oh, okay. and then it became so so an, a so light an, novel. So an editor got at it and turned into a light novel. <laughs> it's look, I don't understand. I don't fully understand Japanese media verticals, even after all this time and all this consumption. But um, they figured it out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, light novel. You can sell something. You can sell the same product as a novel, a light novel, a manga, an anime. OVAs and then spin-offs of all those separate subgenres of media. Yeah, there'll probably be a, a Crunchyroll Mobage coming out pretty soon. Oh Jesus! And then live action. Oh yeah, the, with really cheap CG. The, the light novel was done 2013 2016. The novel series was 20. I don't know. Yeah, I novel series is 2013 to 2016. The light novel series is 2014 to the present. That's fucking mental. I understand what a light <laughs> like a light novel is. Like the trash stuff that I guess people are embarrassed to read, so they have those. Like whenever you buy a light night light novel in Japan, they always ask whether you want to wrap it, not so that you can <laughs> provide it as a present, but so that you can hide what you're reading, so that you can read it on a train without being embarrassed. So I have a feeling maybe it's that that way. I don't know if it will be reissued. Uh, and maybe you're right. Maybe it is. Just... <laughs> Andy's getting his brain crushed. That is <laughs> I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna I'll find out by next week. How about that? Yes, <laughs> well, we're gonna send Andy on assignment. Yeah, you're gonna read the to first novel and then read the first light novel and see what's different. <laughs> get get Andy really into cell phone novels. Well, that's how a lot. Completely. That's how a lot of this stuff does get published, right? Like I know the um, yeah. It wouldn't surprise me if, and that's why their names are so insane. Like the time we got reincarnated as a slime, and I'm a spider. So what? Like that's because well, you've we, got a list of of titles and you can't judge a book by its cover but you can judge a book by the title um so they have to have an interesting <laughs> title to attract what you. what if a, a series had the the title suppose a kid from the last dungeon boonies moved to a starter town <laughs> nice transition duncan but then i'd i'd say that's probably like top five to ten and you'll probably read about eight chapters but it's almost definitely a light novel Mm-hmm. <laughs> it is also an anime which has, has started this season and is kind of average like this is so far it basically seems to be kind of like this this hero is overpowered let's take the mick out of it but really gently uh while also giving him a harem so it's kind of like all those every trope you could wish of like the um this kind of like this sub sub genre of which is not quite isekai but has a lot of the troppings tropings of it which is kind of like the the rpg um show where there's no one from outside the world in it but they have all the tr- the tr- the the tro- 
the trapping the trapping apparently that's starting to filter over to the west now and it's it's called lit rpg where it's it's a fantasy novel but there's like explicit game mechanics that people like seem to know about and rely on this sounds a hell of a lot like dan matchy is yeah what you're talking about right here I'm Dan Matchy. Welcome to my car dealership. <laughs> what, what is what is this show called? So repeat the na- name of the show. Suppose a kid from the last dungeon boonies moved to a starter town, oh, and so the idea. So painful. <laughs> that is such a painful name. Oh, you got some cringe. It's Andy's got a pain car going on. Mm-hmm. And its concept is that the this this kid has grown up in this wilderness around this this dungeon. And this dungeon is so terrifying and all the creatures so deadly that he thinks he's really weak, but he's in fact really strong. So it's it's kind of a bit one punch man, but its sense of humor is far more Princess Connecty. It's far more gentle, far more um, little bit slice of lifey, but there's also harem elements to it. And yeah, it's, it's OK. I don't think I'll, I'll probably stick with it. It's considering this season's looking quite bloated in terms of new shit. Uh, not new not just new shows but just reoccurring shows this shows this season's got so many so i think it's probably just not quite strong enough to to maintain my interest but it's all right like if you need just a uh a, a dumb light comedy it'll probably serve you well but i don't think it's gonna keep me going more than a couple of episodes well, is it, i can't even find the fucking list of it well i can't even see it where the fuck am i looking you're looking in the wrong maybe it's in japanese andy but no i've I've seen it too i was surprised by like boonies being used in a in a formally localized title in terms of speaking of shows which have a uh a title which has surprising connotations um other side picnic is perhaps the most interesting show so far this season for me Mm. the one which i'm like hmm hmm maybe there's some there's some depth to this which can be chewed upon and, and pondered. Um, so it's essentially... It's, t- it's, it's titled Threw Me For A Bit until it was revealed to me that it's basically a tribute to the novel Roadside Picnic, which is a classic sci-fi which explores kind of the idea of this zone left behind by an, an alien visit but the the i one of the things it was strongly he played into was the idea that these this wasn't a malevolent alien attack this was just them passing by like they were having a picnic and just all these bits and bobs they left behind in and were just deadly or weird to us and in ways which we could, could not comprehend because we were so beneath their notice. So Other Side Picnic is an attempt to do weird science fiction, like um, which I, I particularly pleased me when in its OP there was, there, it had this sequence of them running down a spiral stair, staircase being chased by this weird, weird green monster, which felt very uh, annihilation to me, perhaps just because I, 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 that, that, that idea of that spiral... S- s- spiral staircase in the lighthouse it's a very important part of the novel it's, yeah, it's just, just like so so drilled into my brain at this point but its director um also directed uh near under seven and uh steins gate and so those are both two alternate si- like near under sevens one that is a really strange show which i watched a long time ago yeah and 
I, I really enjoyed just how strange it got at times and how it didn't seem to follow the normal rules of narrative. I, I suspect Other Side Picnic is going to be uh, more more conventionally narrative-wise, but it so far it seems to be all about have that same thing Steinsgate did about being very interested in urban legends. Like the the two girls we meet in the first episode are both like interested in these stories of like all these urban legends they've heard of like this shimmering white beast which is seen somewhere and like they've ended up connected to this other place somehow and that neither of them sure how how they 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 got that way but the the strange part of it is it is also has clear Yuri trappings like there's they're clearly setting up one of the girls to have a, a big old old crush on the other one and the other one seems to be strongly implied to be searching after her friend who who is in these other worlds and her longing for her is definitely depicted as more than just missing her friend and so it's we have this strange mix of um Yuri and like weird fiction and mm. I'm hoping it leans more towards the latter than the former but you can never tell with with anime it's well, the first episode is called wiggle waggle hunting so we'll see yeah <laughs> <laughs> which could let's, let's face it could be be a lot worse than it actually turns out to be whereas the the wiggle waggle is more like this figure you see in a heat heat, heat haze like this not quite distinguishable oh, yeah. figure uh, moving the way they choose to, to uh, depict it when you you do see it is these like strange figures destroyed in the landscape with like weird electrical or or sort of glitchy effects going on in them and it's implied that the that the weirdness of this this creature like the more that if you look at it it just makes you just essentially incapable of moving like it's so weird that you can't properly look at it and the that the 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 plot essentially boils down to one of them making the realizing that the way these things exist is that one of them has to be looking at it for the other to be able to interact it in any sort of way they can't be interacted with unless someone is looking at it and so one of them has to risk basically being slowly driven mad or more to the point slowly infected with this strange otherness by looking at this thing just for them to be able to defend themselves and like that's a that's a a trope which lovecraftian works and weird fiction like annihilation have played with a lot like this idea that you interact with this weird thing and it somehow changes you. Yeah, this, is, like, this isn't meant I'm, to be like a, a slam against it, but it kind of sounds like an SCP entry where you just have like, you know, <laughs> here's this weird creature and, you know, these are the dangerous things about it. And it becomes like, you know, it's so, so it's kind of like a, like a freak of the week kind of situation where they like figure out the puzzle box of a monster and like, and survive or do you get that vibe that, that would be that it doesn't give that impression it more gives the impression that there's something which one of them isn't telling us like why she keeps wanting to go to the other side um it also has guns 
which they, they, they find guns in this ruined other side, uh, which will please Ben, which, which will please Ben. Like, if you... T- t- teenage girls... Well, they're, 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 I suppose they're, they're, they're... They are university students, we find out at the end. Ah. So it's um, old enough for them to have uh, firearms, apparently. Or maybe it's just that the, the space aliens were also Americans. Yeah, <laughs> could be. Which oh, is, would be appropriate for Japan in terms of people who have come to their, their country and left a weird uh, yeah. warping effect on it. Yeah. So, <laughs> if you need an atomic analogy, there's always that there. <laughs> I mean, that is part of what the aesthetic in Annihilation is, is the the fear and unknown of like a nuclear event. Like what before we knew the effects of dropping a nuclear bomb, like the fear of this sort of like unknown region that no one can go into, I think has it taps into some of those cultural cultural things so it wouldn't surprise me if that is is partially part of the anime's metaphor yeah. too i mean it, it's interesting because there's i think there's certain metaphors going on with depression as well uh, one of them was essentially lying down in it this this puddle by the roadside in the other side just fed up and just like i'm i'm trapped here something's gonna find me soon and i'm too scared to move but i'm too don't want to stay here either and like this this feeling of being trapped and in how you are now and unable to escape it and her being stumbled upon by the other character and just saying oh you kind of look like that ophelia painting and it just flashes up the the famous like ophelia uh of lying down with her hair and her doing it and like it was just kind of like this weird weird reference out of nowhere which just made, pleased me because art references please me uh-huh. um, of course they do <laughs> well that's good that sounds like it has potential to keep an eye on uh are we ready to take a break and then come back we can talk about Hyogemono and anyone else who wants to talk about what they've been watching And we're back. For the second half, Andy is going to tell us about this anime that we haven't really talked much about. It's pretty obscure. It's called yeah, uh, Resero, I think. Resero? Resero. Um, I, I think it's actually... about Trent Reznor. But... <laughs> I find it weird. You haven't actually watched this bad, have you? I'm holding off until it's done. It sounds like it's too much what? work to watch while it's airing. <laughs> but that is weird because, like, well, so whilst I have rewatched Resero, what I have watched was the director's cut, which came out... Um, came out uh, last season or two seasons ago in line with the second season airing. And the big thing was that they re-edited a lot of the cuts, which to be honest, I didn't really notice there was much change. Uh, and then the other big thing was like, there's the OVAs, which is a weird like snow festival in the middle, which was fine and fun, but very felt very out of place and was clearly like, okay, this is just a joke thing. Uh, and then there's like an ending scene, which nicely ties into season two because like watching season one, especially the back half, it feels really complete. Like mm. there's a very lovely moment at the end, and then that's it. Credit roll. And I was and I was talking to a friend like the other day about it, and he was like, "What? Why is there a second season? I thought the first season was pretty resolute, and it is. Like the first season's really resolute as it stands. It can just hold up by itself, mm. but there is still a lot of stuff that they haven't bothered to explain that they can delve into, which I guess was sort of why." Because uh, I've also been thinking about it, like since he said that. Because I was always like, as soon as season one was over, I was like, "Well, that was brilliant." Where's season two? And mm. uh, so yeah, so I was just, it was just shocking to me. Like, 
I always thought there'd be a season two, and I knew that, there, and I always knew there was without there even being confirmed a season two. When really, what surprised me about season one was how well it wrapped up and held up by itself hmm. and didn't need a season two. And then hmm. secondly, like, I don't know, I've been a bit of a glut of just watching trash anime, and I guess, like, I guess ReZero is really fucking good, and. <laughs> I, it's nice it, to it have you're it. like oh anime can be good yeah it's nice to have an anime it's nice it's nice to have like this is the, the apotheosis of andy <laughs> <laughs> guys nice. guys guys guess what no, I anime guess can what be I mean. not shit <laughs> It doesn't have to just be cute girls doing cute things. No, I just meant, I just meant that like, it's nice to be able to point at a show and definitively say like, this is why the thing that I love is really great. No, I, we, I understand that completely. I'm sorry about I, making fun of you. I also watch, I also do like geary watches of like terrible anime. And then I watch something good. I'm like, oh, wow, I can enjoy anime still. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, it just... Like, I really love the back half of the anime, and I really loved how Subaru changes from a person, and he grows up. Like, he dies a lot, and he has a lot of horrible shit go to him, but then that's just growing up, buddy. But unlike everybody else, you can't kill yourself and reset it. Like, they have to live with their actions, whilst he has to only mentally live with his consequences. Technically speaking, we don't actions. know if you reset when you kill yourself, but it seems unlikely, judging from, judging from yeah. the evidence of this world. <laughs> um, and I don't know, like, it's great. If... People are starting, if there's any of you who haven't started watching ReZero um, and you're like, should I watch the director's cut or should I watch the original animation? Go the director's cut. It's an hour. Is there, so- is there, any, is there anything lost between the two and, except not having watched things? Uh, nothing's lost. Absolutely okay. nothing's lost. Uh, nothing's changed. Uh, slight performances, vocal performances that have been redone at the beginning uh, and a lot of uh, visual edits. Most of them are done like from the Blu-ray versions. And then mm. a lot of them, there's like a whole thing on uh, my anime list, I think, about the differences. Um, and a lot of them, like, are otherwise, like, there's a few fights that have just been completely re-edited to make it look better. And they do look really bad. Be- really the, like- the shaft treatment of just reanimating the stuff that you didn't have <laughs> enough money to animate well the first time. Pretty much. Or just enough, didn't have enough time. Uh, yeah. And it's like... The, when it got to like the REM confession scene, which everyone knows, it was really good and it made me cry again. And I'm just like, yeah, this show's brilliant. That's me, ReZero. Go watch it. I'm excited for season two. <laughs> Hot take. Uh, so, uh, good. Are you going to watch season two before it ends or are you going to wait until season two is over uh, and then do them all at once? We're, we're planning to bash out the first half of season two now. Uh, and good. Then, and then that's what we're going to mainline. Because um, I'm, I'm of the strong conviction season two was better than season one, so I'll oh, wow. see if that holds for you. I, I think the thing that really shone for me in season one was how much of a dickhead Subaru... Like, when I went to rewatch it, I remembered how much I hated Subaru at the beginning. And it's really hard to watch that mid-episode where he has a fight with Amelia because you know what, what of a dick he is, but you know he somehow makes up with her. And it's nice to see that what he makes up isn't him trying to pretend, but him acknowledging who he is... And then also growing from that. And I thought that that was really strong. And that still, for me, is like the highlight of the whole show. And I hope that that is still built upon. I hope it's not just a case of them going, well, Subaru's grown. Tick, he's perfect. Moving on to the next character. Um, and But I don't know. I, no, very very much. The, like, like for me, the, the, the best episode of ReZero is, is one of the early ones in, in season two, which is all about Subaru's flaws. And I, th- and I think you'll you'll like 
I know you say you you cried at the Rems scene, but this was this like this one is of like that that's melodrama, whereas this was this kind of like Banks. Oh, I'm not crying. But it sounded <laughs> me out. <laughs> that's that's great because like it's very common for anime to just sort of be like this character's developed now. He's had one character development and that's it. And yeah. that's not what I wanted. I want I want more character development from the main character because it feels like you can't just stop developing. You ha- you're always growing. And I think that that is like what a big part of the first, second half is it's sort of announcing there's a big world that you don't know. And then also there's a whole lot of shit that, they, that nobody understands that he doesn't understand that he's got to grow and realize that he doesn't understand that. And he does. And that's what makes it excellent. Uh, so I'm happy to hear that there's more and I'm excited to get into it. Good. That's actually interesting that you mention um, characters developing once and then stopping because... Uh, so I just finished Hyoge Mono. Um, I, I I binged it somewhat somewhat, somewhat spitefully um, and ended up in a very weird place about it. So like the thing I like about Hyoge Mono, the thing that actually what? makes it is that okay, the sorry, yes. one. Sorry, re- remind me what Hyoge Mono is again. <laughs> Hyoge Mono, yes. Hyoge Mono is is a ser- is a samurai series a series about the uh, samurai at the end of the Sengoku Jidai, the warring so called warring states period where Odunaba seized power Odunobunaga seized power and then when he was assassinated one of his lieutenants uh, Toyotomi Hideyoshi seized power and then after Hideyoshi died and his young heir proved unable to hold the throne under regency Tokugawa took over and closed Japan and made like. Tokugawa era Japan, as we've seen in Oedo Rocket and Gintama, and not many other anime, just those two. But um, <laughs> I, I couldn't think. Of we have no others. serious dramatic depictions of life under the Tokugawa shogunate. It's really weird. Uh, no. But Odd. but so this is about this follows uh, Furuta Sasuke later Furuta Oribe, um, who is a something of a, a, dan, a dandy and a striver, a a samurai with strong sympathies towards aesthetics and a desire to become renowned and recognized for his aesthetic taste. He attaches himself to um, uh, Hideyoshi Toyotomi's tea master, Sin no Seki, later Sin no Ryukyu, um, and who has this aggressive belief about imperfection um, as a specific type of aesthetic and is manipulating politics behind the scene to make the world more quote unquote um, imperfect. And in general, to show just about different people's ideas of beauty and aesthetics bumping up against each other and how that informs their personal contact, conduct and their political ideology. I just wanted to say, just to, there's also, uh, there is a, an element of xenophobia wrapped up in his aesthetics because he's pursuing a, an aesthetic that's purely Japanese, whereas he sees himself as being opposed to, at least in the show, I don't know how this uh, tracks with history, but... Uh, like Nobunaga and Hideyoshi after him, like part of like their their flaw in his in uh, uh, Rikyu. Same again, Seno Rikyu. Yeah, Seno Seki. Uh, or he has a, another a third name. He reverts back at one point in in the show to his like original birth name. But yeah, like 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 they, their major failings in his eyes are that they are both influenced by the outside world and seek to go into the outside world, whereas uh, he would you know vastly prefer you know. Je, you know japan g for japanese and nobody else comes in or out we also see he also sees foreign well, we'll get into this we'll get into this as we talk yeah. about it because jeff i know you've watched about to the mid 20s um mm-hmm. a lot of stuff happens how familiar are you with the historical context of the period that that's in question 
not familiar enough to have noticed to any have been of the deeply bothered like, I, like I, I i know some of the names i know some of the events but mm. i don't know any of the specifics when i'm angrily posting that the hanoji incident did not go down like this you're just like whatever nerd <laughs> so <laughs> Anyway, so so the thing is, I really like Hyogemono because this is this is a show where several of the main characters go through massive personal and aesthetic growth throughout the, growth throughout the show. Like people not only have revelations about the value of certain objects over others or what the nature of imperfection truly is once they'll have a revelation. And then 10 episodes later, they'll experience something else that will cause them to modify or even abandon their previous revelation. Um, mm. This is something where. This is a show where the main character purportedly... I mean, obviously, the main character is actually Senoryukyu. Um, It begins with his rise to prominence under Hideyoshi and ends with his with his forced suicide, which are both historical, um, historically accurate. But the viewpoint character... And we talked about this in previous, in previous podcast episodes. The viewpoint character is not necessarily the protagonist. This is something that anime likes to do, especially in historical contexts. But uh, Uribe, Sasuke, Furuta Sasuke, Furuta Uribe... Um, he he starts out valuing he starts out just receiving the the opinions of others and he really values famous and well-regarded pieces of pottery and that's most of what his aesthetics are it's like what resembles the famous well-valued ones um and then after being chided um by several people he goes through a series of of changes until he realizes that he's trying to do more imperfection. He's trying to look, make stuff look older and he gets so obsessed with making stuff look old as opposed to well-regarded. And then he's has another series of personal conflicts where he, he begins to embrace more of his authentic, like his authentic tastes and trying to hone his own authentic tastes rather than taking cues from others. And this is an arc that he goes through very naturally. Um, but Hyogemono is also a show that presents itself as a scrupulously accurate historical drama, giving names and dates for every every single thing that happens, and then it makes a big a lot of big changes against what is established or at least a consensus of historical fact that seems to largely be about raising some characters up and shitting on other characters. It really bothers me. The names and dates really bother me that they're sometimes to the hour, and sometimes they give the ancient and modern name for the place. And half the time, they're just literally not true. They're either an implausible conjecture or they're an outright falsehood about who was where, when. And I don't see how that is. I don't see how that is in service of anything except just the aesthetics of history. And that really bothers me as someone who um, the, the crooks of my professional life for the past decade while I was getting my PhD is about knowing who was where, why, and to, to see it treated like so casually really bothers me and it made me it, it actually challenged me a lot about about what my opinion of what is important for a historical work a work of historical fiction to have to be worthy of its of its subject and time period and i Could feel I like he'll... ask you something about yes. that then quickly um it sounds like the way you're talking about it the spe- specific specificity of date and place they give is still very high it's just they're completely fraudulent yes well that's like that's exactly that the, like more the tension. work like why not just find the correct one and write that down that instead of inventing one it well they seems... do they do they do weird stuff like a lot of it is just in terms in just in service of characterization and in setting up um this is time time for this fine so i watched um i watched uh is his name teshi gahara i should have 
Yes, Hiroshi Teshigahara is a filmmaker of the the New Wave generation. Um, and one of his last films that he made was Ryukyu. Uh, and I had heard about this and I had conflicted feelings about the anime Hyogemono, um, especially the role of Ryukyu, who seems to be this this like almost inhuman, like political and artistic presence in the show. And so I wanted to watch this biography about almost exactly the same the same period of time and see it from a different uh, interpretation where uh, Rikyu, which is in 1989, it's one of it's one of his later movies and is generally considered to be lesser Teshigahara. If you've ever watched Woman in the Dunes or Face of Another or Pitfall, which are his big ones back in the 60s. But in 1989, he writes about this, about Rikyu getting older, his close friendship with Hideyoshi, who's becoming more eccentric um, and more prone to rages as he's as he's settling into this place of political power. And it's about the difficulty of being near powerful people and not doing politics just by the nature of your friendship. And it makes a lot of sense that Teshigahara made this movie about about how he's old and just wants to do art, but people want his opinions on things and then they get mad at him about those. And that seems like a very it's about Ryukyu, but it's also about him. It's a very personal work because of that. It's a very eccentrically shot movie that where nothing really happens. No characters have really arcs. Um, Ryukyu pisses off Hideyoshi, and Hideyoshi slowly gets more and more angry until the end of the movie where he orders him to commit suicide. That's the and that's the that's the movie. Uh, but it's it. But it's very clear that uh, that the author of Hyogemono, uh, Yoshihiro Yamada, saw this as he was starting out as a manga author and was really, really cemented by the idea of how people who have no overt political power, who have no overt, overtly political, explicitly political agenda can still shape politics so radically by their own personal and aesthetic beliefs. Um, and his question is, instead of what if Ryukyu really didn't want to get involved in politics and got involved anyway and paid the ultimate price? What if Ryukyu was super down to, inv- to be involved in politics and in fact his aesthetics deliberately has a political dimension to it that he aggressively pursues in his friendships and relationships with other people, especially the powerful. And what price does he pay? So the idea that you would have these kind of like the sham of accurate names and dates and who goes where makes sense in that sense, but also it's used to like make Ryukyu look a lot more like moral and pure and to make Hideyoshi especially and Mitsunari Ishida, his one of his lieutenants who later bungles the regency and lets Tokugawa take power after the Battle of Sekigahara or leading up to the Battle of Sekigahara and then in the aftermath um, that they like it makes Hideyoshi's concubine Ochacha, who is a, a niece of Odunobunaga, um, they just make her 16 and make her 13 instead of 16 just to make Hideyoshi creepier. Like that seems to be the only outcome of it. Her, her youth is not important. Um, she's just below the age of consent in Japan <laughs> to make you be like, man, Hideyoshi's a bad guy. And it really got under my skin <laughs> because like, as, as I said, like it, it challenged my idea of why, of why historical fiction, what historical fiction has to have to be worthy because before Hyogemon, I would have said if it captures the spirit of the age, I think he'll, I think that that it makes it a worthy piece of historical fiction. That's why I like Wolf Hall so much. I feel like Wolf Hall is a is a a work deeply invested in the mentality of like the budding Renaissance culture. And, but Hyogemono captures the spirit extremely well. This this obsession with aesthetics and the idea of people trying to build new ideologies 
in in a generation of people living in Japan who've only ever known war. They've only known civil war. They've never known a strong emperor. They've never known a strong shogun. They've known conqueror after conqueror gaining the upper hand and then falling apart. Um, it's just that it commits a lot of deliberate, seemingly deliberate and malicious faults that does so. And it's devotion to like to crapping on Hideyoshi. I just don't like as a principle. It's very predictable. It's like a drama about Henry VIII where Thomas More's the good guy, Cromwell's the bad guy, and it doesn't really know what to think about Henry VIII himself. Like the easy consensus, but like weirdly intensified. So would do you see like uh like an uh, an authorial intent to sort of paint this like period of history, you know, sort of like fraudulently presenting this opinion of history as being authentic while very easily and provably it being not so <laughs> like having some kind of like ideological bent to it do you think he's trying to I've, push a narrative i've tried so hard to to come up with like well i've got a hair in my mouth i've tried so hard to come up with like why he's why he's doing this that is not as uncharitable to him as he is to uh to hideyoshi I think I think there is a thesis somewhere. I would have to read the manga to be sure because I whatever uh whatever uh, Yoshihiro Yamada's intent um it's made more murky in the anime. Like apparently there were reasons that the that the manga author and the editors quit as consultants for the anime series and the anime had to change it from original story to original concept and it's not technically based on the events of the manga it's a it's a an adaptation a, like a more distant adaptation uh i've tried really hard to to see what he wants from there and all i can really see is that he sees it very important that people have to choose people either choose to be a warrior and to be engaged in the messiness of the world or they choose to be an aesthete and remove themselves from it and i think that the the three personalities of Sunryukyu of uh, Furuta uh, Oribe or Sasuke and Hashida slash Toyotomi Hideyoshi. We have a merchant who's become an athlete. We have a warrior who's become an athlete. And we have a peasant who's become a warrior and, and pretends he can also be an athlete. Hideyoshi is the last one of those. And I think that it wants to critique that you can't, you can't be deliberately and viscerally involved in the messiness of the world and be an athlete. There has to be some sort of withdrawal from power and if you do approach power like Sunryukyu does, you have to do it with a very thorough ideology that lets you touch it without it poisoning you. And I think actually at the end of the day, and with the developments of Ryukyu's character, which I'll talk as a as a closer for this thing, I think it says that like that politics poisons you. Um, it poisons your aesthetic ability. Um, and unfortunately, the nature of aesthetics, the nature of what is good and bad, what is beautiful and ugly, what is valuable and what is worthless pulls you towards politics because human behavior is political behavior. And I think that it's very interesting that we have this anime that's about Oribe nominally, but is actually about Ryukyu coming, coming to the table with this aesthetic idea of absolute black, no gaudiness, only imperfection rendered in pure black tones and how that, how that determine how that moves him to support Nobunaga and then to support Hideyoshi and then to support Tokugawa as like trying to find someone who matches his aesthetics of a ruler. And it's just really unfortunate that 
it feels the need to make Hideyoshi less sympathetic. There are there's times at the end where Hideyoshi realizes he's isolated himself politically from everybody and that he's left a very weak government for his successors. Um, and he's like, but he just says, like, why is no one my friend is like literally what he says. And I wish that there was a more complex villain. I wish it would have been more willing to acknowledge that it's peasant who dares to be a warrior, but not an aesthete. Um is the bad guy. I wish they would have been more explicit and, and built that more into what it was doing. I think the fact that Hideyoshi is so obviously power hungry and prone to rages and kind of incompetent when it comes to the long-term exercise of rule um, weakens what it's saying about that. But it's still nevertheless a show where Senoryuki, who is Jeff can attest to this even only halfway through the absolute arbiter of aesthetics mm-hmm. in the show. If Sinryuku says something is 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 noble or worthy, he is right. And if he does not, it's wrong. And we may worry about his extremism, but he is not fundamentally incorrect as a person when he says that. Jeff, do you think? Are you gonna think, are you gonna complicate uh, well, that complicate that? Um so in the show they definitely portray uh Ryuku has having very strong opinions and mm-hmm. like moving politically to sort of enshrine his opinions as being absolutely correct and this is uh contrasted against Sasuke who mm-hmm. has a much more sort of you know he's got more of like a developing taste um and it's more of a he's more willing to mix uh influences from foreign and ancient and modern and also mm. you know doing what he can to create his own and even when those experiments blow up in his face he's still willing to move forward with that whereas Riku is just about paring down things paring them down making more, them more simple and trying to impress upon everybody else that this is the way to go yeah and like but Sasuke like, but Sasuke respects his opinion enormously like yeah. if, if if Ryukyu says something is dumb, Sasuke throws it in the trash or buries it in his leaf pit, as he did in one point. Yeah, but he's also working very, very hard to impress him. And, you know, there is a moment where he shows off his house that he's built that's you know, intentionally made to look, you know, 100 years older than it really is. Yeah, and, completely you know, run down. Like, like, there's like holes in the wall level of yeah. rundown. And yeah, to the point where, you know, if he had not, you know, put in to reinforcement in, you know, secretly, you know, this building would have fallen apart. And as they're touring it, he's looking at Ryuku and he's, you know, who's, who seems to be genuinely taken aback by how different and original uh, his house is. And he like, you know, he's, he feels a spike of, uh, of, of pride because it's like he isn't just like following Riku's opinion around like a puppy. He's yes, trying yeah. to beat him and he feels like, you know, he feels humiliated and defeated when he doesn't, but he doesn't feel cowed. Like he never like looks to him for advice. He's trying to like model himself differently. And I vote. And I think I said this last time we talked about the show, but I sort of see Sasuke as being a stand in for like Japan at large. <laughs> and sort of being influenced by Nobunaga and by Tokugawa and by Ryuku and by Hideyoshi and becoming sort of an amalgam of all of those things as a result of history. Whereas like no one of these other people, you know, ultimately prevails in the end, but also none of them do not leave their mark. And that was sort of what I was getting from the show in general. Like, but like I said, like I've only gotten like a little bit more than halfway through. I encourage you to finish it because I think you are right that like 
that I probably underemphasize the implicit rivalry between Oribe and Ryukyu. But Even if it's I think I think to, I think to beat somebody, head. you have to have them acknowledge you, and so I think that is yeah. fundamentally the 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 more submissive aspect to Oribe's striving. But like anyway, like as you said, Sin Ryukyu is this is this arbiter. Uh, like he positions himself, and the show for a great deal positions himself as the arbiter of of, of aesthetics, and he like. In the in the twenties, in like the late twenties, fundamentally changes his opinion about about what he think. Like he he starts wearing gray and sometimes even white after he talks with his old mentor, who's at the end of his life, and he's like, "You shouldn't try this hard for things. Like, it has to make you happy and it has to be easy. It can't it can't this this path of austerity is not going to give you what you wanted in the end." And Riku dismisses that out of hand, and over the next few episodes. You see him start to change and you see him like do things that make him laugh more. And this is a little bit of spoilers for the end, but at the very end, the last conversation um, between Ryukyu and Oribe, Ryukyu deliberately makes him laugh or somewhat deliberately makes him laugh. And he's like, good. I wanted to see this version of you. It's the true version of you. You should you should you should carry this forward in life. Don't just always be serious. And so it's very interesting that this show positions this this uncompromising like aesthetic juggernaut and he even he changes his mind um and it's mm-hmm. really nice to watch him struggle with like do i want this too intensely am i destroying this because i want it too much am i missing other things that would make me happier or that may, would make the world better and i think he doesn't completely change i think he ultimately returns to some variant of his original ideology uh, as we met him at the beginning of the show but it is it's a show where people have conversations and ask questions and as a consequence they sometimes change their mind Mm-hmm. Um, and if it wasn't that kind of show, this would have been one of my worst hate binges up there, up there with Simone. But instead, like I really, the character stuff and having two characters who are both, who are both had previously been very sure about what they wanted are now unsure talking to each other and trying to like have the other one, as you said, Jeff, kind of like give the blessing to like something else or to like change their thing, um, uh, Sasuke Oribe throws a tea ceremony where he dresses as a caveman because he's trying to get back to the ultimate, the ultimate wabi sabi. So dressing as a caveman using prehistoric pottery, and and Riku thinks this is like gross and unfunny, and someone else is just like, no, this is great. You've taken you've taken imperfection to its logical form, and it's hilarious. <laughs> and Oribe is like, well, that wasn't my intent, <laughs> but it's still like, <laughs> but it it, it, cha- it changes him. Like people change. It's it's really rare, especially in anime, as you said, Andy, yeah. for like someone not to just have like the one moment where they grow up or the one moment where they get serious. And then that's their character moment that these are p- people constantly changing. And it's interesting in the late part of the show to watch characters in and out of Ryukyu's circle as he begins his political decline, as he loses his favor with Hideyoshi um, mm. in some ways, accurately, in some ways, inaccurately or a. Uh, fictionally heightened may i may i say the way that they they have that they would have him lose his political favor and date masamune is someone who acts like the mix of a kabuki player and or like a like a like a caricatured temple guardian where he literally has like the red eyeliner and lipstick with the curly cues and he's always doing like the like the puffed out lips and he talks like this no, like all the time, and he does like kabuki poses. Sort of like the stuff that you see on a shrine temple, like guardian. Yes, yeah, precisely. Yeah, yeah. And people keep telling him to stop doing that. Like people, every single person who talks to him for the first time is like, "Why are you talking like that? Stop talking like that." And he's like, "How am I talking? That's weird." 
No, and and the show introduces him as a buffoon for like the more aesthetically advanced characters to turn their nose up at. But in fact, they cut like he's 100 percent authentic. He thinks this is like the the right way to act. And people can't really change his mind on that. And the show ultimately, I think, has good things to say about people who who aren't imitations. I think that the the antipathy that the show ultimately has against Hideyoshi and is very, very obvious in so many of the ways they depict what he does is that they think Hideyoshi is a bad imitation of Nobunaga. And therefore, mm-hmm. even though Nobunaga was bad, Hideyoshi as an imitation of a, of a garish, tasteless, autocratic would-be emperor um, is even worse, even if his policies he chooses are better. So like, it's a very interesting show that like, I was complaining every few episodes about why they changed this, why they changed that. And yet, as I said, I think it captures the spirit of the age really well. And if you are interested in Japanese aesthetics or in a show where the primary conflict is people, two different people believing two different kinds of things are beautiful and not being able to see eye to eye on that, I think it's extremely unique for that angle. Um, And it ends kind of abruptly with, with, with Senryukyu's, uh, seppuku and then goes the manga goes on for five more years so i imagine it goes all the way to uribe's death after the siege of osaka where he he chose the wrong side and was executed for being seen to conspire with uh the hideyoshi's descendants remnants as opposed to siding with tokugawa so it is people ultimately paying paying the price for the political consequence of their aesthetic decisions which feels very appropriate given the last week of American history. <laughs> well, for the for the history books, this was the week when uh, they raided U.S. Capitol. There was an attempted coup yeah. of the Capitol building in support of a of a of a failed president. Piece so the uh, the the Honoji incident uh, of burning the temple and then Akechi Akechi Mitsuhide assassinating Oda Nobunaga with the hopes to seize power himself. It feels very. Yeah, apt at least. Although I will say, in in uh, in Hyogemono, Akechi Mitsuhide, as opposed to Oda Nobunaga's assassin, is in fact probably the most like morally consistent and pure person in the entire story, which is again a very weird decision. Yeah. Um hears his death poem late in the show and realizes that the most aesthetically refined person he's ever known was someone that he can was someone that he considered a pawn in court politics and had disposed of carelessly. Um, and it informs his final change of how, of how he behaves and how he treats aesthetics. So yeah, I guess I'm recommending it. Yeah. And I gave it an eight. Was, that was like, <laughs> eight out of 10. I, I was a bit confused as to how you were rolling with that. Like, cause of your, your hatred against the history inaccuracy, but then you didn't quite like it in the end. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like hate, like hating its agenda, but respecting how it executes it is how I would say in the end. Yeah. And you don't always get that. Usually it's pretty easy to say this is a failed project or this is a successful project. And I don't think mm-hmm. Hyogemon is either. I think it is, it, is a, it is a complex and highly personal work. And it's clearly something that someone that someone was first inspired to think about in 1989. And then it appeared in its its final form in 2005. It, it definitely seems like someone who's thought a lot about what everyone would think of stuff. And I don't know. I've, I've, I guess I should say that I like it because I've watched a lot of Seki of, uh, of Sengoku Jidai stuff, a lot of stuff pointing towards the death of Nobunaga, the death of the, uh, the death of Hideyoshi, the defeat at Sekigahara, 
the Siege of Osaka. And I know the way those are supposed to play out, and I look for subversions, and I think that in terms of political political ebb and flow, this is not very surprising. But if you want to understand why every character is doing something, and not because they have a long lecture, <laughs> a long monologue um, in the middle of the episode, I think this is one of the most excellent examples of that. I, it just happens I don't like the, the depiction of some of its characters. I have a mm-hmm. taste for underdogs, and I feel I feel Hideyoshi is an underdog and I want him treated nicer and the show is not interested in that. And that's not a fair reason for me to say it's a bad show. So that's all I have to say about that. Life is like a box of chocolates. The end. I mean, Hideyoshi, <laughs> I think has always been a bit of a questionable character in as far as Japanese people are concerned, whether they like him or not. Uh, I have heard both positive and negative things said about him before. So he's complicated, which is why it's weird to just make him like, the, the crass commoner who barges into this this beautiful dance of samurai and merchants. Yeah. So it's kind of weird in that respect. I quite like the if you played Neo two, that is all about afraid not all about Hideyoshi and the uh, it's it's dumb. You'd love it. You'd love you'd love Neo two. You play. Uh, I think I need a break from from Sengoku Jidai and stuff for a while. I've still got to finish watching <laughs> the live action Three Kingdoms show, which is going to take. 60 hours I, of my life. I can't remember so. the logic, but you're what you are Hideyoshi in this world is two people one like weird scamp, sort of like a trickster, and then the other person is you, <laughs> a never talking protagonist who kills yokai. Um, <laughs> it's weird. Uh, there's a great, I mean, it's better than it. Sengoku Basara, where he shows up as a giant reference to like Journey to the West. Or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> He's a giant monkey man with like steam powered arms. Sengoku Basara is shit. Don't watch Sengoku it. Sengoku Basara is insane, but it's like, uh, what is it? Uh, female, I can't remember, not Shonen. Shoujo. Otome. It's, it's just Otome yeah, fan service. Otome yeah, fan service to the nines. It's like all these hot boys that you could date, but they died tragically because they're they're hot blooded men yeah. in the Sengoku Jida. Like, have you also seen that reverse one that they've come out now, the Borderland something something? Where I don't know. Isn't there an Obunaga, Oda Nobunaga one where he's gender swapped? That was supposed to be. I was more talking about the vi- the Disney villains that are gender swapped. Oh. <laughs> uh, that's taken all the rage. Anyway. Enough about that. Trying to remember oh, this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oda yeah. Nobunaga. Oh, there's... Okay, sorry. My bad. There are two gender-swapped <laughs> Odo Nobunaga anime. Odo, Odo, Odo Nobuna no Yabo and Sengoku Collection. Of course. Um, <laughs> there's also a Pokemon spinoff called Pokemon Conquest. Yeah. There's also, there's also a Yakuza spinoff. Like, yeah. Like, yeah. That's... Um, anyway... We've, anyway, we've 50 years under heaven yep. to think that a man has but that. <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead and wrap it up. For the next episode, two weeks hence, we'll be talking about harem anime. I know it <laughs> seems like I just talked about uh, Sedekai no Ichizone, but maybe some of y'all can listen, <laughs> can watch that uh, or something else. And yeah, we'll talk about the good ones, the bad ones, why it exists, exists who is S-tier, who is trash. <laughs> <laughs> this is actually one of our most voted topics so y'all have no one to blame but yourself only only john abstained from voting so i, I think yeah <laughs> so yeah uh study out for that email us email us comments <laughs> rate review and subscribe to us on the podcast service of your choice uh find us on facebook search for keyframes podcast uh find us on twitter at keyframes pod uh, email us questions, keyframespodcast at gmail.com. And of course, tell your austere foreboding 
ultra aesthete friend about our podcast but, so he can tell you that you are a cheap imitation of him but not just your obscure boding whatever you just said i remember that you should also tell uh the friends who happens to be i don't know chewing with like five identical quintuplets yeah sure because that's the first time anime that came on my list you're making a quintessential quintuplet yeah. <laughs> reference oh. yeah oh jeez. <laughs> I, I saw that, uh, isn't there another season of that happening? Yep, that's season two, baby. <laughs> Can't believe it. Are was, you going to watch it? Of course. It was garbage. <laughs> that's the Andy I know. Let's get rid of the, let's get rid of the old, hey, anime could be good, Andy. <laughs> Say goodbye, everybody. Oh, no. My whole ethos is in a shambles. Anyways. <laughs> mm, mm. Bye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Bye.